Good morning, Vineyard family. It's Thursday, it's October 29th, it's 11 in the morning, and it is cold and foggy out here in Barnhartville. Hey, listen, I wanted to take this morning, I've been wanting to do this all week, finally with uh, a bit of time in front of me here today, I thought I would take this opportunity to just share some things with you from a message that we presented here on Sunday. Sunday marked our first in-person gathering in some time and our absolutely first uh, opportunity to meet in this strange new space that has been graciously opened up to us here in Valley View, the fellowship there, the Gateway City Church. The brothers and sisters have opened up their church to us as a venue, a place for us to gather on Sunday afternoons. And so... Yeah, everything was just a strange new experience for us. Um, we were thrilled that people were able to gather with us, but of course not all of you were able to be there. Um, so, you know, why not take this opportunity to share some things that we learned that Sunday afternoon? Um, Demi and I started off with just pointing out uh that this building really marked a milestone for us, uh, a crossing over of the Jordan, so to speak, you know, a place where we wanted to set up some stones and say, you know, we've entered into a strange new promised land, <laughs> um, you know, having surrendered our building our at uh, St. Andrews on the Square in the downtown of Kamloops, and then now beginning to meet here at the Gateway City Church in Valley View at, uh, yeah, this this presented as a new beginning for us. At the end of September, we'd signed off on a usage and rental agreement that, uh, with Gateway City Church that will see us through the balance of the year. And in January, we're going to evaluate sort of the fine points of our arrangement and reaffirm things going forward. Uh, many of you, uh, as we shared with the body on Sunday afternoon, uh, might not already know this, but uh, our relationship to the pastor of the church began almost 16 years ago in Campbell River when Matt was a youth pastor at the New Life Pentecostal Church, and Demi and I were serving as the worship pastors there at the local vineyard. In 2009, Matt had left Campbell River. He had taken his family, and he had gone into the missions field of the Middle East. And four years ago, the Schultz family arrived back in Canning. Canada and hardly reintroduced back into the, the North American culture, Matt was invited to pastor right here at the Gateway City Church. And just about four years ago this fall, Debbie had worked, walked through the front doors of that church, of that fellowship, and we came toe-to-toe -to -toe with Matt, where we both looked at one another with some astonishment. Man, that was an encouraging time for all of us, uh, being invited here to meet in this facility and then to realize that there was this connection that we had had with Matt and his family that, uh, you know, predated our coming to this city. I've got to say that we never saw that coming. More than a coincidence, we don't think so. But there we were sitting in that facility for the first time and uh, feeling so much gratitude for being there. Well, I know that many of you would love to have Debbie chatting in with us right now. Um, uh, she would have been. If our recording had been successful out of uh, Sunday afternoon, she'd, uh, you'd be listening to that. Instead, you got to listen to me this morning, but it'll be a shorter message because of that. <laughs> 
But I'd, I'd started off that message saying that, uh, just sharing that, you know, that uh, last week I'd, had, I'd, I'd found myself sort of awakened with many thoughts and feelings rolling around inside of me. Um, you know, there's been a lot to take in. There's been a lot to absorb. So many, so many changes. And at the end of this month, uh, in fact, this afternoon, I will surrender yet another set of keys. Uh, this time we're handing over the keys to our small office and ministry center up in the McGill business area. This past week, we tucked away most of our things into storage. Um, and, uh, and we shared that we're, we're going to continue running our administration and ministry activities out of our homes and, co and the coffee shops that are, are willing to have us. Uh, we're going to do that for the balance of the year. In the spring, um, we'll look at exploring our sort of newfound rhythms for community. Uh, we'll re-examine what that looks like. But for now, it does feel like just more surrender. Debbie loves change. Um, that was, you know, that was certainly uh, something that uh, she sprung on me uh, during a BC regional gathering we had here with uh, Vineyard Pastors down in Penticton. Uh, part of the exercise was was pulling these cards out that uh, talked about things that, um, you know, that, that uh, we that we value and we get excitement out of. And she pulled this yellow card that says uh, that she really embraced change and she giggled about it when she grabbed it and showed it to me. And I kind of groaned a little, admittedly. But uh, I gotta say, you know, that uh, some some weeks ago, uh, God asked me a question, and and this is how we began our address with people on Sunday afternoon. Um, I shared with with folks that, uh, and I share with you that God asked me a question. He says, He said, David, are are you willing to embrace obscurity? Now, there are probably a few of you that might be groaning right now. That was the reaction, certainly, of people on Sunday. At least uh, more than a handful had groaned right away when I'd, I'd uh, shared that word. But uh, I followed up by, by sharing the definition of that word. And yeah, if you had a... You know, if you had a media or a PowerPoint screen in front of you, you'd have seen that name come up, obscurity, and uh, a bit of a definition to it. It's this this state of being unknown or inconspicuous, and I put in brackets, or even unimportant. But even as I share this with you, I, I, I don't mean this in a negative sense of the word. I mean, obscurity can sometimes be interpreted as unimportant, and I, I didn't feel God saying that. Uh, see, if life and wisdom of our scriptures have taught us anything, God is always at work, and he's often doing some of his deepest and most important work in the places and times of hiddenness. Now, let me say that again. Uh, God is always at work, and he's often doing some of his deepest and most important work in the places and times of hiddenness. I wish I had you in front of me so I could see either nodding or groaning or, you know, looking at this, the tile in the ceiling and wondering, where is he going with this? Well, a couple of weeks previous, Debbie and I had completed our mini-series called God of Our Worship. If you haven't had a chance to listen in on that, uh, hey, listen, I want to encourage you to, to do exactly that. Uh, maybe get on YouTube and, and uh, listen in to things that we shared that. Um, but that whole that whole God of our worship that series 
uh, opened up Psalms 139. The Psalms author was David, the shepherd boy turned king. And as I've been turning my attention towards this very humble place of stepping back into some level of corporate gathering that sees us both meeting in a place that is entirely new to us and having to be discreet in our social connections with one another, I felt God prompting me to put not to put anything more or anything less on us than God had actually called us to in this season. Let me say that again. I felt God prompting me not to put anything more or anything less on us than God has actually called us to in this season. I feel it is true of us corporately as I do of it being true for us as families and individuals. And as God often does when he's speaking to me, it began with a word picture. Now that word picture, it was, a, it was a, uh, an image of David the shepherd boy. And he was standing in the king's tent. And he is being pathetically weighed down with the weight of Saul's armor and unable to move about. Now, this, what this led us to was opening up our scriptures to a story that surrounds that story. It's, it's, um, it's a story that will hopefully, thoughtfully draw out some encouraging truths uh, for all of us to own, to take home with us. Um, I, I presented Sunday, and I present to you now, there were three takeaways that I absolutely want us to leave this conversation with. Uh, one is is this notion, and, and if you want to write it down, write it down, man. It's like, it's this certain knowledge that you are not without power. And I say that uh, as the story opens up, you're not alone. You're not alone and you're not without power. And, and the other point, number two, was is there is more to you than meets the eye, which is, of course, the title for uh, this message that we brought this previous Sunday. There is more to you than meets the eye. And finally, God doesn't want you and he doesn't want me being weighed down with burdens and expectations that aren't ours to carry. Now, let me clarify that. That is not to say that we don't bear one another's burdens, that there isn't a righteous burden that we have to carry. But I, I just, I kind of, I want us to explore this idea uh, that there are burdens and expectations that people put on us that really aren't ours to carry. Uh, and we gotta, we've got to determine what those look like and what God is asking us to, to carry and not to carry. Um, so maybe we just start off with our story. And if Debbie was here, she could read the narrative for us. So you're going to have to put up with this guy uh, reading. A uh, story is found in the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel. So, hey, listen, if you want to go ahead and read this story uh, uh, for yourself, I, I, I would encourage you to take time to do that, to open up your Old Testament and read from the Old Testament prophet Samuel from 1 Samuel 17. I have uh, gone ahead and prepared this text and I've, I've done some selective editing uh, just 
just so that we could we could deal with the the intent of the story and that you could hear it here. So I'm now reading from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle. Saul countered by gathering his troops. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Goliath, a Philistine champion, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He wore bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. Now Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am a Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. Now, David was the youngest son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. He had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. Now, Jesse sent David to the front lines with food for his sons and to bring back a report of how they were doing. David left his father's sheep with another shepherd, and he set out early for the camp. He arrived just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield. The forces stood facing each other. David left his things, and he hurried out to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath came out from the Philistine ranks. David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyways, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyways, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Now David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns to me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears and I'll go do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. 
Saul finally consented. All right, go go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things. I cannot go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream, and he put them into his shepherd bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Wow, what an incredible story. Here's a question for you. Whom among us hasn't faced our own Goliaths? Have you ever been in a situation where it presented so huge that it left you feeling inadequate to face them? Insignificant? Ill-equipped? Simply too small? What about the season that we're all experiencing right now? This true account of David and Goliath is probably one of the most referred to and adopted narratives that storytellers have used through history. Sure, this is often used as a powerful kid's time moment of teaching, but it hardly presents as a sweet little bedtime reading. This is not something you want to send your kids to sleep on in through the night. Regardless, it's a story for all of us to learn from. Since before I knew Jesus, for 50 years I've been reading this story and I've been thinking back to this story and marveling over it. And every time God's word holds some word of encouragement and wonder for me. As I considered the players of our story, I thought of David's oldest brother, Eliab. Being the oldest brother of the family, I can only imagine that he was the brother that David looked up to. Overhearing David, who had wandered out into the field, embarrassed and immobilized by his own fear, he lashes out at his youngest brother. He challenged David's presence there on that field of battle. He questioned his contribution to the family's role, and he looked down on his lowly estate as a shepherd to their father's few sheep. David, have you so quickly abandoned your responsibility to tend the sheep for the sake of entertaining yourself? He questioned David's motivation. He accused him of being flawed, simply a young boy puffed up with pride and grandiose stories. Perhaps some of those stories have been told around the fires of their own family home. Excited tales about chance and dangerous encounters where he had single-handedly faced down a lion and a bear while keeping watch over his father's sheep. Oddly enough, it was probably Eliab and some of David's eldest brothers that had instructed him on the use of a sling and a perfectly formed stone to deliver their lethal impact. And what about Saul? Israel's king and his troops were now desperate and tired. Worn thin over 40 days by the fear and taunts of Goliath, no one was stepping up to fight the challenger. 
convinced by David's courage, and perhaps even stirred again by the spirit and faith that he had once tasted, Saul agreed to send David out into the battlefield. Sizing up the young boy, the king compelled him, he compelled David to put on his armor as a means to defend himself. But David protested Saul's gesture, and he threw everything off except for those few light things that he had known intimately well. The youngest of eight sons, David was hardly 15 years of age. In comparison to his competitor, David looked small, ill-equipped for battle. Philistine's champion fighter Goliath was disgusted with Israel's challenger. On the surface, all Goliath could see was the light frame and the countenance of a ruddy-faced boy who carried a stick. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you would come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods, come over here and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Goliath was an oversized fighter who brought brute strength and who dominated his competitors with his enormous size. David instead relied on what he had learned as a young shepherd boy. He relied on God who he worshipped and who he had known in those times of isolation in the wilderness during those long desert nights. David's confidence lay in the Lord himself. He was skillful with the weapons of his warfare. A wooden staff, a stone sling, a musician's harp, and a keenly developed love and worship for God. In the hidden places, God is equipping and strengthening our love and understanding of Him. Today, in our trials, God is revealing those things that we have grown dependent on. In our trials, God is revealing both our strengths and our weaknesses. In our trials, God is also presenting us with an opportunity to partner with Him. So let me say that last point one more time. In our trials, God is presenting us with an invitation, an opportunity to partner with Him. And I conclude with the three takeaways that began our time of connection. Number one, you are not without power. God wants you to know, I want you to know, you are not alone. He is with you. You belong to Him. The Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in this world. Number two, just like David, who grew up in the hidden places, whose hands were trained for war, whose heart was attuned to the voice and the Spirit of God, whose courage was really birthed out of place of having experienced God 
in the desperate times and having seen God deliver him. You need to know that there is more to you than meets the eye. God has been forming you in the hidden places and he is using the hidden places, the isolated places, even now to strengthen you. And finally, God doesn't want you, God doesn't want me being weighed down with burdens and expectations that are not ours to carry. Now listen to me when I say, I'm not talking about Paul's word to the Galatians that says that we need to share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of God. This is a, a very different thing. What I'm talking about is those burdens and those expectations that people put on us out of their own root of fear and their own judgment. And sometimes it's our own judgment that weighs us down. God wants us to be seen as his sons and daughters and to come at everything that we do from that place of relationship with him. That's the, the light burden, the light yoke that Jesus is inviting us to. He's inviting us to take that yoke upon ourselves, to cast our cares on him and to come and to learn from him. Will the Lord bless you and keep you. And until we see you again, may his peace continue to minister to your spirit. <laughs>